Hello world and welcome to Podcast in A Minor, where I gather up the weird little songs I write and then talk about the temporary obsessions that spawn them. Or where I write new songs just so I can talk about something I find fascinating. It's like a memoir in songwriting to put a little music in your life, to cultivate the delighted mind and wallow in all of the wonders of this glorious world. Do I sound high? High on life and music, baby. And now for today's opening song. Go, go, better go, better wander alone. Better take my weird grief and my weird heart of stone. Pack them up in my train case with a tortoise shell Welcome to Podcast in A Minor. I'm Amy Zollers, a poet and artist, and I'm in one of my moods. You just heard Whiskey Rhinestones on the Taylor Gemini Mini Acoustic Guitar. Hey, I just read a quote from Shel Silverstein saying you should never talk about your work. That only muddles it. So let it speak for itself, to paraphrase. Well, I'm torn. On the one hand, I'm highly suggestible in some ways. On the other, I'm a confessional poet. So let's go. This song, Whiskey Rhinestones, grew out of a novel I might have mentioned, Bathtub Absinthe, a novel composed of experimental chapters, all for my own private bathtub reading. My anti-anxiety medication, if you will, that's what I call these stories, an electrified corset, a poetry collection of mine now available on Amazon, Never to be shared, these stories, as, quote, it is never wise to take medication belonging to others, or something like that. 
Having said so, I still read aloud a little Christmas chapter from Bathtub Absinthe last December 2021 on Instagram Live, part of a weekly dish called Wassail Wednesday. Wassail Wednesday provided wassailing songs, old and new, and festive hot drink recipes and demonstrations. Such fun. You can still check that out on Instagram at hypnus underscore and underscore outrage. You just got to scroll back to December of 2021. The song Whiskey Rhinestones first percolated in a scene from an unpublished collection I've mentioned, Smoke Break Love Stories. It later became a poem-style chapter in Bathtub Absinthe. The protagonist has moved into a solitary lifestyle, and better to let the story tell itself. From Bathtub Absinthe, Corner of Maine and Moonlight, excerpt. So how do you figure that, Topsy, she went on. What's doing in Joplin that I just have to see? Where do you get Topsy from, he asked with a handsome squint. My name is Derek. That figures. Her eyes never left the table. With so much to see there, coffee cups, ashtray, notebook, pencils, napkin wads. Run, Topsy, she sighed. Go away from me. I'm poison. You don't look like poison, he leaned in. You don't smell like poison. Yes, I do, you nincompoop. Now she looked up. Nicotine is plain deadly, or haven't you heard? So they say. But he bucked them, inhaling the blessed leaf, the cancer stick, the coffin nail, the blessed cancer nail. Well then, poison and lilies, he relented. Now, what do you mean, poison? She rolled both head and eyes to one side. Nicotine. It turns your teeth yellow. And you, he leaned in fast and close and intense, and stared her down and made her lips sneer in objection. What color do you turn my teeth? She sucked down coffee and stared back at him. It could only end in a suicide pact, Tops. Run while you can. Joplin, he swigged down his own coffee and clattered cup to table. There's a jazz festival next weekend. Jazz, you say, she stared. He works too hard and it makes him ill, but I left him to fend for himself 4,000 miles away. So give him a call if you feel that way, he shrugged, wrinkling cheek muscles to wear a spoon for a monocle. Whoever he is, the spoon dropped. I would indeed, she nodded ghostly, but then how would he learn the songwriting aspect? I've ruined him now, she lamented. He's shipwrecked all to hell. So clean inside, happy-go-lucky and innocent. Betrayal, that's what I've done. He has no idea why I split. She lit a cigarette. The stranger watched her, tapping his own cig in a slow rhythm on the rim of the ashtray. He shrugged somewhat brightly. That kind of pain will serve him well in art for the rest of his days. You'd know, of course. She swirled her hand in the air, erratic. I would know, he agreed. That's why I'm in a cafe at 1 a.m. talking about jazz festivals and jotting down poetic phrases instead of being home in bed, wrapped up in a woman named Sylvia. Sylvia, the woods. She breathed a stream of smoke, squinting. She took you to the woodshed tops. Grinding out cigarette. Well, that's swell. Mission accomplished. This chick will self-destruct slowly over 35 years and an ocean of bourbon and two plantations worth of nicotine. She snapped up wild-eyed, panicked. Topsy, I'm scared. He was calm. What are you scared of, girl in black? Spiders. She stared at the table, looking edgy and sick. Cancer. Tornadoes. Ghosts. Failure. Cockroaches. Lightning. 
the family madness. The stranger shook his head, amused but tragically so. I'll get you some toast and eggs, he announced, standing. Earthquakes, bears, the deep blue sea, wayward asteroids, she was saying as he returned, stranglers, knife-wielding maniacs, the next thirty-five years. The stranger nodded to the waitress as she set down the plates. Thanks, Lil, and turned back to the girl in black. If this is how things are, he shrugged, then you ought to go back home to him. I can't. She dropped fork into eggs and buried fists in temples. He's in England, and I'm scared of going in airplanes. At the end of the chapter, the chapter actually ends with a recipe, coffee with egg, boil nine cups of water, whisk one half cup coffee grounds with a raw egg until it looks like mud, add to the boiling water, boil three minutes, strain into a coffee pot, pour out a cup and enjoy, nothing to be scared of, and who cares if it makes your breath weird, you've ruined him. Oh, wow, I forgot each chapter ends with a recipe, usually for a cocktail, but this one for Swedish coffee. How did I think it right to shield the world from this treasure, tee <laughs> Well, I was going to go on and read the next chapter, written only in dialogue, instant coffee with a fertile neighbor, but I think we are full and satisfied, don't you? Well, it's the final week of September, known for its indulgent topics as its birthday month at our house. All of the birthdays, every single soul at our house, a September birthday. It is a giddy scramble, and that is why this episode is a day late. Let us turn our attention to the subject of the solitary artist. The female lead in the poem chapter, Corner of Main and Moonlight, from Bathtub Absinthe, has left her husband because he's a musician who feels himself too jolly to write the powerful songs demanded by the tumultuous era the late 1960s, but she leaves him without his realizing it, out of the blue, even managing somehow to leave steaming food on the dinner table in time for his arrival home. He thought she was just in the next room, though she has already boarded a train. It takes him a little time to figure out what has happened, and his resulting confusion and despair does bring powerful songs out of him, and out of the girl in black as well. Here's a quote from 2019 in a blog I found called The Way of Beauty. There's a popular myth in America of the solitary artist. This is the idea that the solitary artistic genius must toil away undisturbed by others and influenced by no one other than his or her own creative muse. But this is not at all the reality. Well, of course not. I wonder if I've misunderstood the phrase solitary artist all of these years, or if everyone else has. To my mind, the solitude is not a necessity in order to avoid inadvertent exposure to outside inspiration, rather to allow the artist time and space to create without, shall we say, obligations of the social variety. See Rainer Maria Rilke and his opinions on the solitary poet in Letters to a Young Poet, as mentioned in episode six, Tragic Eyebrows. Another advocate of artistic solitude paired with discipline is Ingmar Bergman, filmmaker, playwright, and so forth. I found an article in The Atlantic by Joe Fassier in which Danish author Dorta Norse discusses Bergman's outlook on the artist's life in a series called By Heart. Quote, in which authors share and discuss their all-time favorite passages in literature. Dorta Norris's favorite quote from Bergman was, Here in my solitude, 
I have the feeling that I contain too much humanity. In both Swedish and Danish, Norris points out, the word humanity would be translated as human being. I have too much human being inside of me, so to say. Bergman has described his overabundance of life and feeling as soul volume and said, quote, it oozes out of me like a broken tube of toothpaste. It doesn't want to stay within the confines of my body. Norris points out that Bergman had terrible stomach difficulties, saying when humanity became too strong for him, he had to run to the loo. That form of humanity poured from him, too. Running to the loo aside, many of us know that feeling of, well, too much feeling. I thought everyone knew it, but my husband, though frequently enthusiastic in the face of new discoveries, does not encounter the terrible and glorious overwhelm like I do, and has said more than once, it must be difficult being you, says Norse. Everyone feels this, but artists try to capture the feeling through art to contain it within some permanent form of expression. Bergman described a young actress who criticized him for not being wild enough, not drinking enough, and various other oversights of the art life, and said, well, she ended up in an insane asylum without teeth in her mouth, 50 years old. That's what she got from living herself out. In this way, the article explores the fallacy that the artist must be wild, drunk, on drugs, running amok, and peeing in the fireplace. That drink is necessary to dull the intense pain of living. That marijuana must be taken to summon the muse, arguing that these things are not necessary. In fact, artists who focus on wild living are accomplishing much less in the way of art. To quote the opening of the article, It's not drugs, poverty, or wild lovers that make a great writer. It's discipline and time alone. And that is the lesson that Norris learned from Bergman when she read his... Um, memoir about the artist's life. Yes, Bergman had nine children by eight different women, which embarrasses the proper Swedes a little, but his last 25 years were spent married to the same woman in a firm and disciplined routine of creating. And of course, because why not, I'm reminded of Blixa Bargeld once saying he had never thought he could be married and have a child, possibly for several reasons such as dividing his time between two bands, for one thing, leading Einsturz and Neubauten while playing guitar with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Also, having been told by his doctor in his 20s that he had two years to live if he kept up that level of substance usage, and perhaps the poet's solitude. That, naturally, is all very affirming to me in my life of innocence and art-churning. Huzzah! Well, this is not a terribly deep dive into the solitary artist. I will mention also a portrait of the artist as a young man, a novel by Irish modernist writer James Joyce. And I will quote here from BritishLibrary.uk, BL.uk. It follows the intellectual, moral, and spiritual development of a young Catholic Irishman, Stephen Dedalus, and his struggle against the restrictions his culture imposes. It does, in many respects, follow Joyce's own artistic development. By the end of the novel, Stephen has resolved to follow his calling as an artist and to leave Ireland in order to, quote, forge in the smithy of my soul the uncreated conscience of my race. In short, the expectation of the Irishman 
is that he would get married, have a family, and do some sort of work like that his family did. But he chooses to remain alone and be an artist, to find out what his voice is, to find out what his message is, to leave to the world. But like I say, not a huge deep dive, just a wade into the life of the solitary artist. To me, it's an alluring topic. I assume that if I hadn't had a child, gotten married, and all of that, I would have, at least for a while, become one of the wild-living, hard-drinking artists. But who can say? Maybe I would have been strong in the face of that loss, for to me it would have been a loss. And still, I love to ponder a life as a solitary artist, utterly unshackled, plenty of time for the art trance, wandering into worlds of possibility. Selfish, some might say. That's sort of the dialectic, where you can live in two worlds at once for a moment, where you can adore the idea, as I do, not, it's not for everyone, but I adore the life domestic with the family and people to nurture. Um, but also, there's part of me that strongly desires the solitary artistic life, the dialectic. Selfish, some might say, the artist's responsibility to others. We must thoroughly experience the deepest and sharpest feelings to interpret Ingmar Bergman, and we must pass them on. This, briefly, has been part one of Whiskey Rhinestones. Come back next week for part two. We have dealt here with the solitary artist. Next time for part two, Wandering Ghosts. It will be October, the kickoff to many, a spooky episode. Thank you for listening. Get in touch at podcastaminor at gmail.com. You can check out Instagram, podcast.a.minor. And we will post some photos and some videos. You can also check out at hypnos underscore and underscore outrage for my artwork. Also, my Etsy shop hits uh, my Etsy shop, Hypnos and Outrage, all one word, uh, features my art where it is for sale. And music also shows up on the Hypnos and Outrage Instagram. You can tell I am going off the cuff here. And um, uh, also, books of poetry and art available at Amazon.com. Just search Amy Zollers, and I'll drop that link in the show notes. And thank you for listening. See you next time. Musta, musta, the Encyclopedia Neurotica. It's my rule in the plan. I must.